Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good Risings. I'm Jackie. And I'm Brian. And this is Grateful Grains. Happy Monday and welcome to our month on physical well-being. This week, we're getting into the basics of a healthy diet. We have quite a bit of well-merited distrust in outdated information and systems, and nutrition is no exception. We put a lot more faith in modern-day nutritionists and health experts than we do in old science and old research. The same system responsible for a food pyramid that has bread, cereal, rice, and pasta as the foundation of a healthy diet with six to 11 servings of that per day. The same one that told us eggs are high in cholesterol, that avocados cause heart disease, and that red meat is one of the primary culprits in America's health crisis. So as always, we encourage everyone who's joining us today to take any new information as an opportunity to do some digging of your own. We'll provide some sources for you to do just that throughout the week. All right, digging in. You could look at the body as a machine with food being both fuel and information on what systems to prioritize or boost or slow down. What we consume can be both poison and medicine. It can be energizing or it can be draining. It can lead to lifelong well-being, or it can lead to early decline, not just in terms of weight gain, but also cardiovascularly, neurologically, and immunologically. There is a major disconnect today between educated eating and simple consumption, between what's available to us and what's good for us, between what's being passed off as healthy and what's actually healthy. We're starting the conversation today with calories. I think a lot of people see or hear this word and they immediately think about dieting. They think about restrictions on how much they should or shouldn't have. And that's probably because the NIH, the National Institute of Health, released that general 2,000 calorie per day target. But looking at food in this way is a little bit narrow-minded. It's a very small piece of the puzzle. In fact, a lot of prominent researchers and health and wellness experts will tell you that focusing on calories is flat out the wrong thing to be doing. Because the reality is, when we're focusing on eating to nourish our bodies, eating a diet made up entirely of whole or healthy foods, we generally can't consume too many calories. Overeating happens when we eat overly processed foods where large amounts of calories are packed into very small items. And by the way, these processed foods are designed to be consumed in large quantities and also designed to induce cravings. Think about it like this. It may be difficult to eat an entire loaf of bread in one sitting, but if you compress that loaf of bread to the size of a small cookie, you could eat 20 or 30, and that's exactly what happens. We're eating the calories that should exist in an entire loaf of bread in a tiny cookie, and then we're eating 30 of those tiny cookies. Right, this is why we talk a lot about processed foods. 
It's not just about the hidden fillers or added sugars or unhealthy hidden ingredients. It's also that almost every processed food out there is very easy to overconsume. It's highly palatable, meaning it's delicious if you're used to eating those kinds of foods. Things like boxed donuts and cookies, cereal, chips, frozen dinners, frozen pizzas, and so on. These kinds of foods are generally not nutritious, meaning they don't contain quality nutrients. So they're not providing our bodies with quality energy. They're also not particularly filling either. So we end up eating more again in a short period of time. Right, we end up eating these high calorie items that lack nutrients. Our bodies are tasked with expending the energy to burn them off. And then we're not providing our bodies with the nutrients needed in order to do that very thing. We end up feeling lethargic and like Brian said, hungry again. We're also suppressing our immune system, our immune response. We're causing inflammation in our bodies. We're really introducing a very big obstacle for every system in our body. And when we do this habitually or chronically, we're really devastating our physiology. And the unfortunate truth is the vast majority of the American population eats like this every day. The shame here really belongs to the food industry and our government for placating these big food profit monsters. Considering the strain on our healthcare system, our government has every reason to intervene. Instead, we're left totally uneducated and unprotected. We turn to surgeries and medications to treat illnesses that we could be correcting early on with better food. That said, we're really lucky this day and age because we have more access than ever to the information we need when we do decide we're ready to seek it out. Right, we have a much clearer picture of the role food plays in so many degenerative diseases, chronic illnesses, even cancer. For example, Alzheimer's is now commonly referred to as type 3 diabetes and is more and more widely understood to be a result of refined carbohydrates and sugars. And that's really something we've uncovered in the last five years or so. But beyond being the actual cause of these diseases, we have to take into consideration how overconsumption of the wrong kinds of foods also exacerbates existing illnesses or genetic predispositions. Put plainly, we are what we eat. Food is information. Up until these last few years, people have really had no clue but to rely on the government to provide them with the information on what and how they should be eating. And we can look around and see where that's gotten us. Heart disease being the leading cause of death for the last 90 years, and obesity being an epidemic in its own right. Yeah, just like big tobacco convincing the world cigarettes were healthy. It took an entire generation to actually reverse that narrative, years after the Surgeon General had decreed them carcinogenic. That's where we're at with food. Even as the official dietary recommendations begin to shift, it takes time to switch the narrative. It takes time to overthrow these major industries and share the truth with consumers. But like Brian said, we have access to information in a way we never have before. Wrapping up the conversation on calories, we're suggesting we stop counting and start looking for those whole foods. Like any addiction, it may take time to free ourselves from those ready-made junk food cravings. It doesn't have to be expensive, by the way. We start by putting down the frozen dinners and grabbing some frozen vegetables. Season with salt and pepper, use some ghee. Pan fry a chicken breast and some olive oil. At the beginning of this journey, we worry less about organic or free range or hormone free, and we focus entirely on getting acclimated 
to what it feels like to cook and eat whole foods. We work our way up from there. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're starting the conversation about macronutrients with protein. First and foremost, we have to come to terms with the fact that nutrition is not a one-size-fits-all conversation. For example, telling someone they should eat 2,000 calories per day without knowing what kind of calories they're eating or what their lifestyle is like is like trying to paint someone's portrait with just one color of paint. Sure, you can see an outline, but it won't really capture the shades of their reality. In the same way, having a conversation about how much of a certain protein or mineral or vitamin or supplement that we need, it's very broad strokes. Conversations with a holistic practitioner or nutritionist where your actual genetic predispositions, lifestyle, and deficiencies can be examined is really the very best way to understand what your diet should look like. What we're discussing this week is general. It's not explicit personal directive. But again, you really can't go wrong by prioritizing whole foods and cooking at home as often as possible. It's a nice jumping off point, but it's always important that we keep a close eye on our own bodies, how they change, how we feel along the way. So digging in, macronutrients are what make up the vast majority of the foods we eat. They can be broken down into three categories, protein, carbohydrates, and fats. Protein is in every cell of our bodies. We need protein from the foods that we eat in order to build and maintain every type of tissue in our bodies, including skin, muscle, bone, hair, and so on. Protein is composed of about 20 different amino acids in total, nine of which, known as the essential amino acids, must come from the food that we eat because our bodies don't make them or store them in the same way it stores fat and carbohydrates. Those essential amino acids are histidine, isoleucine, leucine, lysine, methionine, phenylalanine, threonine, tryptophan, and valine. Animal products are known as complete proteins, meaning they have all the essential amino acids our bodies need. So things like meat, poultry, fish, eggs, milk, and cheese have the full spectrum of amino acids. Most plant proteins are incomplete, which is why vegetarians or vegans should eat different types of plant proteins every day in order to get that full spectrum of amino acids. There are also supplements that can help provide those missing or shorthanded amino acids. Harvard Health says we should be getting about 0.36 grams of protein for every pound of body weight per day. So for someone who weighs 130 pounds, that's about 47 grams of protein, which I'll come right out and say that's so much lower than any number I've ever seen in terms of daily protein intake, which just goes to show the vast inconsistencies floating around out there. Right, we just had this conversation a couple weeks back about the official recommended dose of vitamin D, which is close to 10 times less than the amount that's actually useful. And then we look around and we see how deficient the majority of our population is when it comes to vitamin D. Isn't it obvious why? 
So when it comes to protein, it really depends on our lifestyle and our goals. That standard protein intake of 0.36 grams per pound should really be looked at as a bare minimum. That's survival standards. Exactly. So someone who's trying to gain muscle while working out could be looking at something closer to one gram of protein per pound of body weight per day. And if we're trying to lose weight, protein is not the place to be making cuts. Those important cuts are, again, refined sugars and carbs, processed and prepackaged foods, and styles of cooking like deep frying. More good news is, besides exacerbating pre-existing kidney disease, there's not a lot that can go wrong in terms of over-consuming quality protein. And since quality protein is filling, the more of it we're eating, the less hungry we'll be, the less likely we'll be turning to those empty carbs or bad fats. This is where we address the notion that red meat is bad for us. A New York Times headline said it all. Eat less red meat, scientists said. Now some believe that was bad advice. Red meat has been demonized for generations, just like eggs, just like avocados, just like salt. It was linked to heart disease and cancer through observational studies, meaning the observation of the population as a whole, lifestyle habits, and causes and rates of morbidity. We are now beginning to understand that that's just not the whole picture. The New York Times summarizes the findings. In a remarkable turnabout, an international collaboration of researchers produced a series of analyses concluding that the advice, a bedrock of almost all dietary guidelines, is not backed by good scientific evidence. The certainty of evidence of these risk reductions was low to very low, said epidemiologist Bradley Johnston, leader of the group publishing the new research in the Annals of Internal Medicine. The new analyses are among the largest such evaluations ever attempted and may influence future dietary recommendations. In many ways, they also raise uncomfortable questions about dietary advice and nutritional research and what sort of standards these studies should be held to. Author of The Salt Fix, The Mineral Fix, and The Immunity Fix, Dr. James Dinnick, advocates that we have to stop blaming meat for the damage vegetable oils and refined sugars caused. He goes on to say that salad dressings are causing more harm than steak. By the way, even Harvard Health, which came out in opposition of this massive news, suggests that consumers limit their red meat to two to three meals per week, not focusing so much on the serving size, but specifically the number of occurrences in their weekly diet. Meaning having red meat as part of your dinner two to three times a week is perfectly healthy, even by Harvard standards. Again, it's all about making sure we're providing our bodies with the protein it needs to develop healthy new tissue, while we're also making sure we're getting the full spectrum of amino acids daily. We'll add that there are so many fantastic resources out there for the kind of cutting edge information we're exploring and sharing. Sometimes I feel like we're real proponents of Instagram, but in reality, we're all about the access Instagram provides to these kinds of people, experts in their field really sharing for the benefit of the public at large. A few people we turn to are Dr. Mark Hyman at Dr. Mark Hyman, Max Lugavere at Max Lugavere, Dr. James Dinnick at Dr. James Dinnick and Dr. Andrew Huberman at Huberman Lab. And by the way, I believe they all have podcasts of their own. When it comes to nutrition, they get very detailed about the things we cover more generally here. 
Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We're getting into the second macronutrient, carbs. Remember, these conversations are all about providing a jumping off point. It's so important that we keep a close eye on our own bodies, how they change, and how we feel along the way. We always suggest having a conversation with a holistic health and wellness practitioner about the specifics of your personal diet or general well-being. Blood tests can really provide a lot of information about the state of our bodies, our very specific deficiencies or needs, and what foods in particular we should be having more or less of. Macronutrients are what make up the vast majority of the foods we eat. They can be broken down into three categories, protein, carbohydrates, and fats. Carbohydrates are fuel, not only for movement, but also for the central nervous system. Carbs also spare protein to preserve muscle mass during exercise. Generally, we're told about 45 to 65% of our daily caloric intake should be carbohydrates. So if we're looking at a 2000 calorie a day diet, 900 to 1300 of those calories should be from carbohydrate sources. Since a single carbohydrate consists of four calories, we can divide that general number by four to get the number of carbs we should be eating. So in a 2000 calorie a day diet, it's between 225 and 325 carbs. Again, throwing numbers like this around is dangerous because it's incredibly general. Not all carbohydrates are created equal. Fiber, for example, is a carbohydrate. Sugar is also a carbohydrate. Eating 225 sugar carbs or 225 fiber carbs will do two very different things to our bodies. So let's get specific about the types of carbs. There are three categories of carbohydrates, sugars, starches, and fibers. Sugar is an overarching term that generalizes six actual forms. Monosaturides are singular sugars or simple sugars. Those include glucose, fructose, and galactose. Disaturides are complex sugars, which are combinations of those simple sugars. Those are sucrose, lactose, and maltose. The easiest way to approach sugar intake is, again, focusing on eating whole foods and using whole ingredients. By making that change, you're immediately focusing on getting your sugars entirely from natural sources. Clinical dietitian Vanessa Voltolina explains that foods with natural sugars tend to be low in calories and sodium and high in water content and many important vitamins and minerals. The fiber in fruit slows down how quickly your body digests it, so you don't get the same sugar spike you get after eating a donut. And the lactose in milk comes with a healthy serving of protein that provides sustained energy, so you feel full longer than after a sugar-packed soda. Added sugars, like the ones in donuts and soda, are the ones to be more concerned about. Put simply, added sugar is any sugar that gets added to food, either by you, a chef, or a food manufacturer, before it goes in your mouth. Added sugars include the high fructose corn syrup lurking in some ketchups and breads, all the way down to the honey or agave we might add to a mug of tea or smoothie. 
because they don't necessarily come packaged with other good for you nutrients like protein and fiber. Our bodies digest them more quickly, which could cause a rapid increase in blood glucose. Over time, having consistently high blood sugar contributes to health problems like obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. It's also going to be difficult to overeat sugar that naturally exists in food unless we're putting bananas and pineapples and oranges into a smoothie and drinking 10 or 12 servings in a single sitting. If we're picking up bananas or oranges or apples and eating them throughout the day, that's really not something we should be afraid of. Even adding a little pineapple to a kale smoothie to help with the taste, again, not something we need to be worried about. A good rule of thumb with smoothies is to focus primarily on vegetables and a single fruit for taste. Most berries are also good because they're relatively low in sugar. Next, we have starches, which are complex carbs. When consumed, these kinds of foods break down slowly over time, providing energy without rapid spikes in blood sugar levels. This is the kind of food we want to be eating before a workout or to keep ourselves going throughout the day. The problem with starchy foods is first and foremost, overconsumption leads to high levels of blood sugar. And two, the most commonly consumed starches are refined, which means they're generally stripped of their nutritional value. It, in essence, becomes added sugar in our bodies. So some examples of unrefined starchy foods are black beans, lentils, split peas, whole grains, and whole meals. Refined starches are any products that have been processed, like those made from flour. All those white breads, tortillas, pastas, pastries, muffins, bagels, and cereal. The final type of carb is fiber. Fiber cannot be digested by the body, and yet it is an incredibly important part of a balanced diet. Most Americans are falling short of the 20, 30 gram per day recommended intake. This is likely because processed foods often contain little to no fiber. This stuff is really coming from those whole foods. There are two types of fiber, soluble and insoluble. Soluble fiber, which dissolves in water, can help lower glucose levels as well as help lower blood cholesterol. Foods with soluble fiber include oatmeal, nuts, beans, lentils, apples, and blueberries. Insoluble fiber, which does not dissolve in water, can help food move through your digestive system, promoting regularity and helping prevent constipation. Foods with insoluble fibers include whole grains, brown rice, legumes, carrots, cucumbers, and tomatoes, just to name a few. Harvard Health suggests increasing fiber intake by replacing meat with beans or legumes, and chili, for example, two or three times a week, replacing white rice, bread, and pasta with unrefined whole grain products, or alternative products like spinach-based noodles and tortillas, eating whole fruits instead of drinking fruit juices, and snacking on vegetables instead of chips or crackers. we're wrapping up those macronutrients with fats. Fats are another food group that have been demonized over the years, but the right kind of fat plays an integral role in our bodies, from lining cell walls and vital organs, to assisting in hormone production, to building the nerve tissue in our brain and throughout our nervous system, to facilitating vitamin absorption. And like many other aspects of our diet, opinions on how much and what type of fat we consume varies widely from one source to the next. The four types of dietary fats are saturated fats, trans fats, monounsaturated fats, and polyunsaturated fats. 
The body breaks these fats down into fatty acids, which can then be absorbed into the bloodstream. If glucose, a type of sugar, isn't available for energy, the body uses fatty acids to fuel cells instead. And that's actually the basis of a ketogenic diet, depriving our bodies of carbs, thus glucose in order to prioritize fat for energy production. So one thing everyone agrees on is that trans fats are bad. This is the stuff we avoid at all costs. It degrades good cholesterol levels, it leads to increased inflammation in the body, and decreased insulin sensitivity. By the way, labeling laws allow food companies to round down to zero and claim a product has no trans fats or zero grams of trans fats if the amount per serving is less than 0.5 grams. So we really do have to ignore the package marketing and go straight for the ingredient list. These foods are generally pretty easy to spot. It's junk food, it's processed food, it's anything fried, french fries, donuts, corn dog, calamari, potato chips, and so on. We also have to look out for those trans fatty oils in baked goods, so cookies, cakes, and pastries, snack foods like crackers, vegetable shortening, and margarine. Remember those heart healthy, I can't believe it's not butter ads? Stick to the butter. Next, we'll look at the highly debated saturated fat. When you begin to seek out information on fat consumption, you'll likely come across endless sources stating that saturated fat raises LDL cholesterol levels, which is widely known as bad cholesterol. But Healthline summarizes the issue well. Since the 1950s, people have believed that saturated fat is bad for human health. This was originally based on observational studies showing that people who consumed a lot of saturated fat had higher rates of death from heart disease. Again, the diet heart hypothesis states that saturated fat raises LDL, bad cholesterol, in the blood which then supposedly lodges in the arteries and causes heart disease. Even though this hypothesis has never been proven, most official dietary guidelines are based on it. While the issue is still debated, numerous recent studies have found no link between saturated fat consumption and heart disease. This is a very similar conversation, if not the exact same conversation, we had about the consumption of meat products. This is old, broad-stroke science informing on modern-day health practices. Meanwhile, countless controlled studies of large population samples are uncovering that there is no real link between saturated fat consumption, heart attacks, and strokes. Moreover, we're beginning to understand that measuring LDL levels in blood isn't as much an indicator of heart health as we once believed. Instead, looking at the ratio between HDL levels, which is good cholesterol, compared to overall cholesterol is more clearly associated with increased insulin resistance and heart problems. This is the kind of information that has people running away from avocados, which are actually fantastic sources of healthy fat. So, to summarize, these more modern studies are revealing that saturated fats are actually neutral, not good, not bad. We shouldn't be afraid of it, especially when it's coming hand in hand with the good fats, the kind we should really be prioritizing, which are monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. These fats are the ones we turn to to do all those important things for our bodies that fat is supposed to do. 
Again, that's lining cell walls and vital organs, assisting in hormone production, building the nerve tissue in our brains and throughout our nervous system, and facilitating vitamin absorption. These fats raise the HDL cholesterol we want in order to maintain heart health and avoid cardiovascular disease. We find monounsaturated fats in nuts, avocados, organic whole ingredient nut butters, and extra virgin olive oil. Polyunsaturated fats are also known as essential fats. The body can't make them on its own. This is where we get omega-3 and 6 fatty acids, which are the king and queen of important fats, both for our brains and our hearts. We need an abundance of omega-3 and omega-6 sparingly. Fish high in these healthy fats are salmon, herring, sardines, and trout. Other good sources are walnuts and flax seeds or cold-pressed and unrefined flaxseed oil. We highly recommend supplementing with the daily fish oil or cod liver oil to get those omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. In general, we should be looking to cap our fat intake at 25 to 30% of our daily caloric intake. Like all dietary recommendations, this isn't one size fits all. The problem with eating too much healthy fat really only exists when we're eating too many carbs and generally too many calories. If we're keeping those carbs to a minimum, less than 100 grams per day, those healthy fats will be what our body needs for energy. What we want to avoid, again, is just overeating in general. Sticking to whole and healthy foods is an easy solution across the board. And if we can, intermittent fast. That's only allowing ourselves to eat during a specific window of time we'll be doing ourselves a big favor when it comes to decision fatigue. There really are countless health benefits to intermittent fasting, but that's a conversation for another day. We're wrapping it up with micronutrients. Put simply, micronutrients are all the vitamins and minerals our bodies need to properly function. Minerals are necessary for the production of vitamins, enzymes, and hormones the maintenance of healthy blood circulation, efficient nerve conduction, muscle growth and contraction, and for the metabolic processes that turn the food we eat into energy. A number of minerals are essential for health. Calcium, phosphorus, potassium, sodium, chloride, magnesium, iron, zinc, iodine, sulfur, cobalt, copper, fluoride, manganese, and selenium. We can get minerals through fruits, vegetables, whole grains, meat, healthy fats, and dairy products. Eating a diet of whole foods is key, but we're understanding more now than ever that supplementation plays a real role in properly nourishing our bodies. The same goes for most vitamins, by the way. The known vitamins include A, C, D, E, and K, and the B vitamins, biotin and folate. The vitamins we need to be cautious about overconsuming are those fat-soluble vitamins, meaning excesses can be stored in the fatty tissues of our bodies. Those are A, E, and K. Vitamin D is also fat-soluble, but studies have shown it's perfectly safe to consume in high quantities, much higher than the current recommended daily dose. We've said it before, but the vast majority of our population is deficient in vitamin D. Most people would benefit by supplementing between five to 10,000 IU daily. As Dr. Mark Hyman explains, even with a perfect diet, the combination of many things, including depleted soil, 
the storage and transportation of our foods, genetic alterations of traditional heirloom species, and the increased stress and nutritional demands resulting from a toxic environment make it impossible for us to get the vitamins and minerals we need solely from the food that we eat. He continues, doctors used to think that we got all our vitamins and minerals from food. Any extra nutrients were excreted or worse became toxic, but the tide is shifting. Emerging scientific evidence shows the importance of nutrients as essential helpers in our biochemistry and metabolism. They are the oil that greases the wheels of our metabolism. His top recommendations for supplementation are omega-3 fatty acids, B vitamins, D3, magnesium, and probiotics. We can also supplement with a specific purpose in mind, like boosting immunity with things like zinc and liposomal vitamin C, or with biotin for skin, hair, and nails. But that's a much more detailed conversation and really fluctuates by individual goals. Today, we're focusing on general dietary needs. When it comes to food sources for vitamins, the non-starchy vegetables, all those cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, asparagus, and dark leafy greens like kale and spinach are ideal. Also, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, and avocados. And again, animal products like meat, poultry, fish, Greek yogurt, and eggs. The most common and all-encompassing dietary advice coming from experts in the field is switching to a diet of whole foods, cooking with whole ingredients, and not shying away from proteins and healthy fats, including saturated fats. We avoid those trans fats, added sugars, refined carbs, and all processed foods. We fight those cravings until they end, and they do end. And we eat lots of those non-starchy vegetables we just mentioned. A good rule of thumb is to have at least two servings for lunch and two servings for dinner, plus a protein of some sort. It's super easy to make a big salad with lots of vegetable ingredients, a base of kale, arugula, and spinach. Use extra virgin olive oil and balsamic vinegar, salt and pepper as a dressing, and have that with every meal. Food can be addictive, as much as alcohol or any illicit drug. Our bodies become fully dependent on sugar, especially when we're experiencing the highs and lows of withdrawal. Unhealthy food can also become our comfort. It can be our means of reducing stress. And that hormonal dependence can become a difficult thing to detach from. But with time, we replace our dependence on these unhealthy habits with healthy routine. We begin to eat in order to nourish our bodies. Slowly but surely, our taste changes. Our cravings change. What was once delicious and tempting becomes repulsive and uninteresting. I know this firsthand after kicking a lifetime of near daily fast food just over six years ago. On the rare occasion I find myself in a fast food drive-thru, the experience is completely different. The taste has become completely undesirable, whereas I used to crave it constantly. If you really just can't stomach eating vegetables, try blending them in a smoothie or eating them in a stew or soup. But I will say, there are delicious ways to cook every single vegetable out there. So give that a try. Don't be shy about seasoning either, or adding some ghee butter. If we're not snacking throughout the day, having some carbs from a whole food source is perfectly healthy. 
A fantastic way to switch up the narrative with food is by making a nightly ritual of cooking. We make that time sacred, play our favorite music, try out new recipes, invite company. If we don't have the time for something like that, meal prep is our friend, especially with kids. I know to have five or six meals ready in the fridge. It doesn't have to be planned for a specific day either. It can become a backup plan, a saving grace when I need a little extra time at lunch or dinner. And it rids me of that decision fatigue, which is when we usually turn to the quickest option as an easy answer, no matter how unhealthy. Remember, if you'd like to continue the conversation, we welcome you to reach out through Instagram at Good Risings, or you can find me at B McMuffin. And you can find me at Jacqueline M. Wood underscore one. Thanks so much for joining us this week as we explored a healthy diet. Until then, remember, a better tomorrow starts with today. Good Risings is presented by Cavalry Audio.